And we continue our series today, uh, The Unusual Suspects. And today we're going to look at the prophet Micah, and in particular at one verse in Micah. It's a, a verse that means a lot to me. Um, as I went to college, and I went to a Christian college, we would meet uh, every night in the apartment of the head RA of the men's dorm, small school. There's just one women's dorm and one men's dorm. We say men's, we could say boys, really based on our age at the time. But we would get together and we would pray and we would sing and we'd read scripture and someone would do a devotion. It was a very formative time in my life. And Micah 6, 8, um, Micah chapter 6, verse 8 is uh, a verse that was then sung. Now, it's been remade by David Crowder into a more kind of uh, popular praise and worship song. But I, I would like to uh, do something a little unusual today. I'm going to lead us in a song. Yeah, yeah. Carol says, yeah, as though this is something that she supported. I was only able to pull this off because she's on maternity leave. <laughs> so, there, there are two uh, verses, uh, three stanzas each, um, or no, three lines each. There's two stanzas, three lines each, and the first two lines are echoed. And so, if you see something in bold, that's something you're supposed to sing. So you'll echo me on the first two lines, and then the third line will all sing together. Now, I realize this song might be new to some of you, so we'll have to go through it a few times, but I'm really committed to it. Ready? No, no, no. Are you ready? Yes. All right, there we go. All right. <clears throat> Some, somebody uh, give me a key. I'm oh, no, just kidding. I, I have no idea what that even means. <clears throat> la, 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 la. <clears throat> I got it, I got it. He has shown thee... Oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. That was very good. Sometimes there's a guitar to accompany this. I really like the acapella though. All right. So we're going to do it again now that we know it, and by know it, meaning we've heard it once. Uh, although I thought that was great, but this time, since we've already done it once before, we can really get into it. Ready? He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly. And to, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You should try it sometime around the campfire, sitting out on your lanai, whether it's the summer or the fall. It's great. It's peaceful, and it encompasses the gospel in such an amazing way. What does God require of us as, a, as humans? But to do justice to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We're going to look at these three in our, in our service, service today, but I'd like to start at the end, and we'll work back in reverse order. So beginning with walking humbly with God. Walking humbly with God, I think, is what we spend the majority of our time on. That is, those of us who have, have faith, have a belief in God, we try our best to kind of live righteously. We want to walk humbly with God. 
We want our life to be filled with the presence of God. And we spend time and energy kind of trying to make that happen. One of the things we do is we come to church. So here we are, trying our best to walk humbly with God. We sing songs. Uh, we read scripture or we hear scripture read. Um, we listen to sermons. We join uh, small groups. Uh, some of us that are very committed go to, go to conferences or workshops on how to be a better Christian, uh, a retreat. Uh, we seek out advice or mentorship or counseling. Um, we spend, when we think about what does it mean to be Christian, I would say the vast majority, certainly the lion's share of our attention gets spent on this, walking humbly with God, kind of seeking righteousness in our own lives. So that's a good thing, and, and I'm certainly in favor, it, in favor of it. I would offer kind of one brief caveat. That is, when we think about walking humbly with God, I think we're often very quick to think of it through individualistic terms. That is, how do I walk humbly with God? As though this is some kind of solo trip, or at the very, at the very most, um, uh, a group of two, a couple, you know, just me and God. But that's, that's not really the concept that we have here. That the walking humbly with God is something that we do together, Right? We, we come to church together, we worship together, we pray together, we listen to sermons together, we give together, we um, fellowship together. Not to say <clears throat> that the faith isn't personal, it is, right? You, you only can do it for yourself, I can't do it for you, you can't do it for someone else. But sometimes we've confused the idea that the faith is personal with the idea that the faith is private. That somehow it's just me by myself in my closet. Now, there, <clears throat> there might be some things you do by yourself in your closet. It's a metaphor we use in religious circles to kind of go and pray and get away. But that is not the totality of the faith. In fact, that's kind of the exception. Uh, most of the time, it is meant to be done together, and I would even say in public. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that in just a second. Since we spend so much time, I think, on walking humbly with God and what that means for us, we're not going to spend as much time today, and we'll focus more on the, on the other two. So next we have loving mercy. <clears throat> so I think we do spend time on mercy in Christian circles, just not as much time as we spend on, on, on walking humbly. I'd like to tell a, a quick story. Uh, it's about 20 years ago. Um, we were living in Tennessee. And I was on my way home late one night um, from, from work or school. I can't remember what was going on. And I'm, I'm coming through town. And it's one of those roads that it was like 25 miles an hour. But there are like four lanes and a turn lane. And there's no one there. And it's late at night. So as you might imagine, I might have been going faster than 25 miles an hour. It was also going downhill, right? Very, very hilly there in East Tennessee. And as I'm coming down the hill, these lights, bright lights, start to flash. I'm like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me. And so I get pulled over, and, and the cop gives me a ticket. And sure enough, I was speeding. But I didn't have the kind of money uh, that you needed to, like, pay a ticket. Kind of a poor guy. And so I showed up at court the next week, and I asked the judge for mercy. 
and, and he's like, well, you broke the law. And I'm like, I'm not denying that I broke the law. But I need mercy. I, I'm, I'm a poor young man with a wife and two daughters, and I'm going to school, and, and I'm working a job, and I just I don't, have, I don't have the money for this. And so he reduced the fine. Um, it, we, it got into a little bit longer conversation. Like I, I said, and it's at the bottom of the hill. Like, really? I mean, how can you go 25 down that hill? You have to, like, ride your brake down the hill. And at this time, the cop who had written me the ticket was already laughing because he knew it was true. It's a horrible place to, to park his car and catch young, innocent men like me. <laughs> so he reduced the ticket, which was nice of him. I said, leniency, I didn't stop there. I'm like, leniency is wonderful, but really mercy and grace might actually just forego this altogether. <laughs> to which he said, uh, I've done enough, and I pay the rest. But, but this is an idea, right? That mercy is extended to people in need. Um, it's interesting that you might find yourself living your life for years and even decades at a time, perhaps without the need of mercy. That is, we, we find ourselves being somewhat self-sufficient. We're, we're getting along in this life, and um, the deck seems stacked in our favor. Now, maybe you don't experience that, but, but I think I have. And it's easy then for me to forget that some people do need mercy. And the question is, who needs mercy? And the people that need mercy are those in need. To extend mercy is to extend it to the, to the person who's destitute, who's poor, who's hungry. In Matthew 25, Jesus kind of lays this out for us, giving us a list of, of six types of folk that might need our help. The hungry might need to be fed. The thirsty might need a drink. The stranger might need to be welcomed. The sick needs medicine and healing. Um, what's the fifth one? The naked needs to be clothed. Someone had to think of naked in church, didn't they? <laughs> I didn't set you up, I promise. And, and uh, lastly, the prisoner needs to be visited. Now, this is not based on any kind of academic longitudinal study. This is just my personal opinion. But when it comes to Christians, and they're talking about mercy or compassion, we're quick to think that we can help the hungry the thirsty, the sick, and the naked. Right? These are things that Christians do. We have uh, clothing closets and food banks, and we visit people in the hospital. Right? We take care of all those needs. Now, for the stranger, hmm, I'm not as convinced that we're committed to helping strangers. But it's on the list. People who don't look like us or people who don't sound like us or people who maybe haven't come from where we come from, right? They, they, they say, Kissimmee instead of Kissimmee. And we think, foreigner, <laughs> right? And no matter where you grew up, there was some shibboleth, you know, some password that got used by the locals when someone mispronounced some local name. I still don't know how to say, and I've been living here for a long time, Fana Natasa. And if you know how to say it, and I said it wrong, 
That's okay. I'm a foreigner. But welcoming the stranger is, is quintessential to being merciful people. And we can't also forget the prisoner. Right? The prisoner, the, the one who's been incarcerated, made the list along with the thirsty and the hungry and the sick and the naked and the stranger. So these are the people who need mercy. And this is what we, as the people of God, should be active in. We need to find ways to live a life that doesn't only walk humbly with God. God bless us. We're trying our best to do that, right? We show up 52 weeks a year. And by 52 at Oasis, I mean, you know, 35. But <laughs> we, we show up what we can, right? We do what we can do. We're trying to love God, but that's like a third of what the prophet tells us is required of us. Another third is to show mercy. So maybe we do this at Oasis through dirty hands. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you find Oasis to be your home and you find yourself in need, you need to contact the church uh, because we have a ministry called Dirty Hands where we share our needs amongst one another and we try to provide for each other the best we can. Or maybe it's our attempt to reach out beyond the walls or beyond the community of Oasis in our second Saturday events. Whether we're pairing up with another church or some other nonprofit in the greater kind of Lakeland community, we, we try and meet some need that someone has. So a couple months ago, we go over to Bubba's house and we, you know, we work on the house. We kind of do repairs that he can't do himself. These are acts of mercy and we're seeking to treat these people in need. But this brings us to, to our last point, and probably the point that we give the least amount of attention to. I put it at the end because I wanted to spend some time on it, but it is interesting that it is where the prophet began. Micah says, this is what God requires of you as a human being, to, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. What well, seems, though, to me that even at our very best, we have inverted that as to our priorities. That is, we, we, we try our best to welcome with God. Maybe we can do a little bit of mercy somewhere along the way. But justice, what would that even mean? What would that look like? As the video said, it, it's not just a theme in Scripture. It might be the theme. And if it's not the theme in Scripture, it is the theme amongst the prophets. This is what the prophets speak most about. The difference, I think, between justice and mercy is that mercy seeks to meet an immediate need. Someone's hungry, so we try and feed them. Someone's thirsty, so we try to give them something to drink. Someone's sick, so we try to get them some medicine or some health care. Someone's um, a stranger, so we try to welcome, welcome them in. That, that's an act of mercy. Justice would be kind of going upstream, so to speak, to see what caused their problems. That is, what's causing these people to get sick? What's causing these people to be hungry? What's causing these people to be thirsty? And is there some way we can address the cause of the problem? Is there something systemic in our society that's creating these kind of extensive problems for groups of people? And if there is, what might we do to address it? So, um, another comparison contrast. If you think of a, of a scriptural example of an act of mercy, the epitome of that may be the 
parable of the Good Samaritan. So the Good Samaritan comes, and unlike the minister and the college professor, who both were too busy to help the person in need, the, the Samaritan, who's of a different kind of race, who's of a different religion, uh, nevertheless is the hero of the story, or maybe better yet put, the saint of the story. Because the Samaritan provides the needs. The Samaritan does acts of mercy. This person has is, is been wounded, and so they, they bind them up. This person is now kind of homeless, and so they find them a place to stay. This person has kind of financial needs. The Samaritan says, hey, this is what I got. If it covers his bills, great. If it doesn't, I'll, I'll, I'll settle up with you when I get back. I mean, the Good Samaritan is like the perfect picture of loving mercy. But if the Good Samaritan is the perfect picture of loving mercy, again, what would justice look like? And I think the kind of epitome of justice would be Moses. Certainly all the prophets. I mean, you hear Amos, until justice rolls down like a mighty river. It's a, it's a beautiful passage, and it gets quoted a lot when these things are discussed. But think, let's think about Moses for a second. When Moses goes to Pharaoh, he's, or when Moses sees the, better yet, sees the Hebrews kind of in slavery and being abused and more bricks and less straw and, and no access to, to kind of any type of quality of life, Moses doesn't kind of organize some kind of mercy ministry, right? He doesn't start to provide water for the slaves as they work. Or he doesn't kind of seek to provide kind of shelter or education for them. Right? He's not trying to meet their immediate need. He marches into the court of Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Like, what we're, what we're doing here is wrong. Like, the whole system is damaged. In fact, it might be broken. And justice says, we need to change the system so it doesn't cause these problems. And of course, we know, we know that story, right? It eventually um, ends with their kind of liberation. So if on the one hand, uh, we have mercy, on the other hand, we have justice, this is not uh, either or. It's not like, <clears throat> here's three things you might do. It's multiple choice. Uh, the Lord God says this, human being, you may either... I walk humbly with God. Well, everybody's going to choose that one. Love mercy or do justice. It's, it's not, uh, these aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, they overlap. Um, we are to walk humbly with God. We are to love mercy and we are to do justice. Now, the good news is this. Loving mercy and doing justice actually doesn't uh, require as much kind of steady attention as the walking humbly. That is this. You don't have to change significantly from where you are to come into alignment, I think, with the words of this prophet. You can still spend a majority of your time trying to love God and love others and, and read your Bible and come to church and attend a small group and sing songs and listen to the radio and read Christian bloggers or whatever else you do to try and develop your faith. It's just this. <clears throat> when it comes to loving mercy, when there's a need, we just try and do it. 
So we, we volunteer with dirty hands, or we show up for a second Saturday, or we, we spend some time on our, on our own or kind of networking with people even from other churches, uh, volunteering with kind of uh, nonprofits, or we, we put our own skill sets to use in acts of mercy. Now here, here's the kicker with the justice though. On a personal level, I can live justly to a certain degree, but only to the degree that I am the final decision maker. So like it's difficult, or I might even say impossible, for me to affect justice solo on a communal level. I can't even affect justice in the small community of Oasis. I'm not in that kind of position of authority. The only way you can affect justice is, is not even from your equals so much, but from your underlings, so to speak. Those whom you have decision-making power over. So that reduces me to a very small group of people, <laughs> right? I like to say that I co-pastor and I, I co-parent and I, uh, I co-edit sometimes and I co-write. I feel like I'm responsible for a lot, but in charge of nothing. <laughs> so how would I live justly? Well, it does happen on a personal level, and this is the way it happens. It means that I treat my children justly because they're, they're a group of people in my life that don't have the authority or the, or the power, right, to resist my decisions. Like if I say this is going to happen, it's going to happen. How, how are they supposed to resist that, right? They're not in that kind of position. So I'm the one who has the capacity to treat them justly. So maybe something goes wrong at work. It doesn't mean when I get home, I get to be short-tempered with the kids. Sometimes I am. So I'm preaching here what we ought to do, not necessarily what I always do, right? I'm just trying to read the scripture myself and explain it to the rest of us. So that, that's where that happens, right? Now, if you own a company, right? Let's imagine you're the boss or you're the supervisor or the manager. This might take place with your children, but then also with your employees. Like, you have an opportunity not just to walk humbly and to have mercy, but you have an opportunity to do justly. But then that begs the bigger question. How might we affect justice in Lakeland or in Polk County? Well, it takes power to affect systems and to promote justice. And in our lives, in our world, there are two primary sources of power. One of those is money, and you have to have lots and lots and lots of it, which is not our case. And the other of it is, is people, is numbers. We live in a, a kind of a democratic society. And if we kind of bind together in source of numbers, we can affect the greater good. So a uh, brief story, a lot of you might know this, um, but for those of you who don't, uh, this, this is a, a contemporary expression of doing justice in Polk County. So about 15 years ago, there was a group of about uh, 12 churches that got together and they said, we have some problems in our community. There, there are areas of justice that are not being met. There are like actions of injustice. What can we do to help? And I'll just give you one example. They said, this group of churches, and, and it was churches kind of across the spectrum. So there were Catholic and Episcopal and Methodist and Presbyterian and Baptist and Pentecostal 
AME, kind of the whole, the whole gambit, which is amazing because it's a fairly small group. They said in Polk County, we have a lot of people who are either uninsured or underinsured. They don't have access to health care. So they go to the county commissioners. This is kind of like Nehemiah. We're going to focus on Nehemiah on another week, but Nehemiah does this. He kind of goes to the public officials and say, hey, here's a problem. Uh, we, we need you to fix it. We, we need you to address it. And so they went to the county commissioners and said, we have people that are uninsured and uh, non-insured. Too many in Polk County. And, of course, the answer is, well, that's horrible, but we don't have the money to affect that. It's just not in the budget. That's always the answer. It's always the answer to, why don't we help the needy? We can't afford it. Why don't we stop slavery? Well, because, you know, everybody would like to stop slavery. Of course, it sounds horrible, but our economy would fall apart. This was the argument in the 19th century as, as why slavery shouldn't come to an end. So those churches, uh, wise as serpents but gentle as doves, said to the commissioners, well, what if the greater community agreed to pay for it? Well, give me a break. No one's going to agree to pay for that. They said, well, we, th- we think they would. We-, we think that if we raise our sales tax by half a cent, that is, we go from 8% to 8.5%, so half a penny on every dollar that gets spent commercially in town would, would be dog-eared toward health care, that it would go. So the churches rallied together. The commissioners agreed to put it on a referendum. And again, about 15 years ago, we raised our, we, Polk County citizens, raised uh, the sales tax in Polk County from 8% to 8.5%. That generates $32 million a year. That $32 million of actual dollars gets matched in an in a in-kind kind of activity by nurses and doctors who then volunteer their time that actually generate, according to the county commissioners last year, $110 million a year. So there are four clinics that have been built and are now funded in Polk County, and a fifth one that's on its way. This past November, uh, which you should know, but perhaps you don't know, because sometimes when you go to vote, there's all those referendums, and they're so oddly worded. I don't know if anybody else thinks they're oddly worded, but they're kind of strange. You've got to really know what you're talking about. We, again, citizens of Polk County, because that initial uh, referendum had come to an end, there was a time limit. It was only going to last so long, and this year was going to be the last year. So Polk County citizens, again, voted, and they extended the half-cent sales tax for another 25 years. So I don't know if you voted or not, but you should go participate in such things. You can find out how much you pay in sales tax and whether or not you want to do that or not. That's, that's something you get to do in this kind, of, this kind of community that we live in. So now for the next 25 years, um, there's going to continue to be that kind of resource. So if you're on uh, uh, Florida Avenue uh, and you're coming, coming down into downtown from the north and you pass like the Dreadnought Stadium, you know where I am on Florida now, yeah? Right before you hit Memorial, there's a clinic there. It's called J-Care. There's another one on the way, I call it the way into South Florida because I live in the north, but down towards where Phil used to live, Phil and Robin used to live, there's another one there. There's one in Winter Haven. There's one in Bartow. There's one coming in Haines City. And if you're sick and you don't have insurance, you can go there and get free health care because you live here, which previously you could not have done had there not been a group of churches get together and say, we have our neighbors who are in need. 
They are sick. That made the list of Jesus' concerns, right? Thirsty, hungry, uh, naked, sick, stranger, prisoner. And so there's things that perhaps we could do in acts of mercy to help the sick. Like we could set up a clinic here at Oasis and, you know, um, have a nurse or two, our EMT, already a part of the congregation. So maybe we just recruit a few more people. And then all we need is $110 million and we could do it ourselves. So we'll start that next year. But you see, it's not a matter of, of just doing it all ourselves. It's, it's a matter of kind of leveraging the, the group that we have. Is that me? Yeah, sorry. Um, this, this, is, this is an act of justice. This is what the prophets called for. This, this is what makes us different, right? If, if our faith is reducible to just walking humbly with God, then the question is, how is my life any different than anybody else who lives on Darlington Circle? That's my address. So if I live in basically the same house as my neighbors, and I drive the same kind of cars as my neighbors, and I go on the same kind of vacation as my neighbors, and my kids get educated like my neighbors' kids get educated, then in what way am I living in Lakeland differently than anybody else who may or may not be Christian? That's an important question to ask. Now, I can say I walk humbly with God. I come to church on a regular basis. I love the Lord. I pray. I sing. That's good. That's part of it. And I can say that I love mercy, that I, I, I write a check sometimes with a dirty hands event or, or volunteer my time on a second Saturday. That's also good. Again, this is not multiple choice. We're trying to see the, the whole of it. The question is now, is there something that we can do as Oaseans to, to participate in justice, whether it's justice in our own lives and how we treat people, or whether it's justice in the greater Lakeland community, or, or Polk County, or Hillsborough, for those of you who drive over from, from Plant City. How, how can we do that? And I think we can be involved. Uh, that group that did the healthcare thing is still, still active. It's now up to 21 churches. And, and they're just, you know, folks like us who are interested in healthcare and drug rehab, uh, housing issues, transportation, right? So we have the healthcare clinics, but guess what? <clears throat> the same people who might not have health insurance also might not have transportation to the free clinic. And so the same people who kind of organized the, the financing for the health clinics talked with the Citrus Connection to reroute their um, buses so that they worked at a time frame that was best for the people who might need to get from here to there. Because again, frankly, there doesn't need to be a city bus that comes to my neighborhood. I mean, everybody in my neighborhood has multiple cars in the driveway. If somebody's sick, we just get in the car and go. Or call Uber, all right? So this, I think, is the heart. The heart of the faith. We don't just want to be people who come to church on Sunday, don't cheat on our spouses, and don't cheat on our taxes, and then call ourselves Christian. We want to be people who find ways to live day in and day out doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God.